Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Paul Brennan. He's the president, uh, CEO, and director of Nerve Gen Pharma, N-E-R-V, Nerve Gen Pharma. And we're going to talk about what they're working on. So I'll ask him about it instead of bungling myself. Paul, thanks for coming. Thanks very much. Pleased to, to be chatting with you. Yeah, tell me what's the the product uh, that NerveGen has. You want to discuss? Yeah, sure. So, so we're working, we're doing research on nerve damage. So, anytime that there's damage to a nerve, whether it's a, as a result of a trauma or a neurodegenerative disease, there are certain things that happen to the system, and we think we have a a product that will help in terms of repair when there's nerve damage. So, what does nerve damage usually look like when someone has it? What, what what's observed? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really depends on the t- type of nerve damage. So a, a trauma nerve damage is something like a spinal cord injury, a concussion or traumatic brain injury, a stroke. And then in, in terms of a disease, it's, it's typically the neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, ALS. And so the manifestations of those are really quite different depending on what, whether you've seen a trauma or a disease, but you know, traumas are typically, you have loss of motor function. So loss of your control of your muscles, loss of sensory function, loss of autonomic function, like loss of bladder control. And, and sometimes in the case of a stroke, uh, loss of cognitive function, loss of certain abilities to think. And then in the neurodegenerative diseases, you're also having things like loss of motor, like MS predominantly seen in terms of loss of motor control Alzheimer's is a loss of cognitive function. And so what causes these and how they manifest themselves both at a behavioral level and at a a microscopic level are quite different. But there is one common component, which we're discovering where where we focused our research. And that's in each of these cases, when you have damage, you have formation of scar tissue. So in a spinal cord injury, for instance, you get this big, big glial scar and that inhibits the repair. But, and that's where the scar tissue is most commonly known. But you also get scar tissue forming in other conditions. Like in, in, a, in a concussion, you have miniature scars forming throughout the brain, depending on where the, and how you've received the, the concussion. In MS, when you have MS as a disease where the myelin covering the nerve is attacked by your own immune system. And in result of that, uh, attack, you get scars forming at the around the nerves. In Alzheimer's, everybody's familiar with the story of plaques that form in Alzheimer's, but those plaques also have scar tissue related to them. And in, in these scars are these chemicals called chondroitin sulfate proteoglycans or CSPGs. And that's what we're targeting. It turns out that the CSPGs, they're there for a reason. They're there actually to inhibit the extent of the damage. So if the CSPGs don't form, then if you have an injury, for instance, if you have a stroke and those CSPGs don't form, the damage will be worse over time, especially, you know, and there's evidence to show that if you, if you inhibit those 
CSPG is from forming, you get worse damage if, they, if that's at the time of the injury. But unfortunately, there's a downside to the CSPGs. They, over time, will inhibit the repair. They inhibit growth. They inhibit plasticity, which is the ability for additional neurons to take on, on additional function. They inhibit remyelination, and they inhibit a lot of activities at the microscopic level as well. What's your thought is to regulate the CSPGs? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Enough of them? So, so the real idea behind our company was a discovery done by Dr. Jerry Silver at Case Western Reserve. And he was, he, he was specifically focusing on spinal cord injury. That was his area of interest. But what he discovered, he discovered, A, that the role of CSPG is inhibiting growth in the spinal cord. And then he discovered a receptor, what the, the predominant receptor that interacted with the CSPGs that inhibited the neuronal response. And then he also was able to, to synthesize a peptide that would inhibit the inhibition. So by in, inhibiting inhibition of growth, you allow growth. And he very elegantly showed that using our compound, he was able to promote growth through the, through the injured tissue, but also a bunch of other positive responses by inhibiting the receptor. He was able to promote remyelination when the myelin was damaged. He was able to show increased plasticity, the ability, improve the ability for the surviving neurons to take on additional function. So it's, it's really quite neat. What we found is that these, at these scar tissues, it's, they're very CSPG rich. We've identified the receptor for these CSPGs, and then we've also found a compound that uh, inhibits the activity of the receptor. So how would you get this to the target site? Is this for just brain inflammation or... You know, where in the body is it amenable to having you insert this substance to regulate? The compound in the studies that we've done, the compound has always been administered as a subcutaneous or, or an intraperitoneal injection. So just an injection beneath the skin or into the stomach. And it gets, it, it'll transport itself from there and into the blood and through the blood-brain barrier into the CNS. So you can have the effect where the danger is in the brain by injecting it underneath the skin anywhere in the body. But it, it can reach the brain or it can reach anywhere yeah. or there's no, certain yeah. spots it can't? Well, we know it can reach the brain. We haven't really looked at other parts of the body like muscle tissue and, and liver, but, but we know that it, it reaches the brain, which is really the target of what we're trying to get to. And how do you think it, it regulates the CSPG proteins? Like specifically, what do you think the mechanism is? Oh, it's, it's definitely targeted towards this receptor protein. The receptor is called protein tyrosine phosphatase sigma or PTP sigma. And essentially, it's our molecule has been designed specifically to interrupt that activity. There's a, a certain domain in the receptor, and we will we will we target is the molecule we have has been designed specifically to fit in that domain, and that interrupts the activity. So it's a very it's funny. A lot of many drugs, many successful drugs, are discovered through serendipity, where it's sort of a an effect seen through a screen process or seen as a side effect from looking at another disease. This is a really good example of rational drug design. There was a very specific target in the receptor that was, that was looked at in designing the drug. And then we, in addition to that, we attached a transporter that allowed the drug to go through the blood-brain barrier. And that's how our product came to be. So have you tested this yet in mouse models uh, yeah, or at have. least in, in lab? <laughs> Yeah, no. So we're, we're, we're on the edge of doing clinical studies. We hope to initiate our clinical study by the, by, by the end of this year. But so the work we've done today has all been preclinical, but there's quite a lot, quite a broad range of 
studies that we've done. So we've looked at in mouse and rats at models of spinal cord injury, acute spinal cord injury, chronic spinal cord injury, peripheral nerve injury, multiple sclerosis, optic neuritis, which is the inflammation of the myelin in the eye, and in stroke. And what we've been able to demonstrate in those models is we've improved uh, motor function, both gross motor function and the ability to walk and find motor skills like grasping. We've improved sensory function, like the ability to detect heat, as well as in the optic neuritis models, vision, improved vision. We've shown autonomic function, such as pacemaking in, in, in cardiac, uh, myocardial infarction models, as well as improvement in bladder control in spinal cord injury models. And we've in, in shown improved cognition in, in stroke models, improved ability to make its way through an, a maze and improved memory recall. Wow. So are, you, are you simply turning down the CSPGs when they proliferate too much? Or yeah, that's, is there like a shooting <laughs> up and down of, of this action? That's kind of the way to think about it. The CSPGs are there in low levels in healthy individuals, and they get tuned up when there's an injury. And so essentially what we're doing and our receptor that we're targeting gets tuned up in, in response to the CSPGs increasing in numbers, our receptors increase in numbers. And so what, what we're doing is, is we're making sure that the receptors just don't notice the CSPGs and go back, go to their you know, normal day-to-day activity. So they act like the CSPGs aren't there. But they do, they do perform some function initially when they're there, right? Yeah, they do. To reduce inflammation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're there initially to reduce the inflammation and protect the spread of the inflammation. So that they're important at, at the time of injury. But after that, they're, they're seen to be causing more damage than they are causing help. And what we're doing is we're not administering our drug at the time of the injury. In our studies, we administer our drug 24 hours after their injury. And we're also looking at studies where we administer our drug, you know, days and in, case, in certain cases, months after the injury and expect to see, and we're hoping to see an effect there. Well, how do you prevent runaway inflation if, you, if the drug works too well? Um, well the inf- I would the, think that the CSPGs need to still regulate the inflammation. Right? Yeah, no, but after 24 hours, you're okay. You, you, you would, that inflammation is generally contained. And so you're not going to create runaway inflammation if you administer a drug 24 hours after the event. And, and we've looked at that. We don't see any increased inflation occurring. Huh. Why do you think that is? Is it just you've given time for the CSPGs to act and then... Yeah, that's it. It's at a new stage where different things need to happen. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, what's really interesting... <coughs> And this is, excuse me for the cough. What's really interesting is that the mechanisms by which we work are multiple fold. So if you take an example of a spinal cord injury, you think that the damage only occurs at the site of the injury. You know, so there's a scar that forms when you compact the card, the cord, size will, cells will die. CSPGs form around that scar and they contain the scar. And you would think that's where the, the limit where the damage is. But what actually happens is distal from the scar, quite far away from where the injury is, you also see the CSPGs being upregulated. Uh, and what they're doing is they're protecting, they're securing the, the nerve connections away from the injury. Nobody knows quite why that's occurring, but it does occur. And what it does is it inhibits the plasticity of the system. It inhibits the ability of the surviving neurons to take on 
the function that the dead neurons not able to control anymore. So there's a, this is really best shown in our studies in stroke. This is a really cool study. What happens is in animals, 24 hours, what we'll do is we'll ligate a blood vessel in the brain and that causes a stroke. Then you can do it at different parts of the brain to see how the, the response changes, but you can ligate a part of the motor cortex that will control the muscles of your limbs, in, in this case, in a rat in four limbs. If you ligate the artery on the left side of the brain, it crosses L- over. Ligate means uh, close off. Or... Close off, yeah, yeah. It'll kill that part of the brain. And the motor neurons that go down, they cross over and they control the right side of the body. And the right side of the body will become paralyzed. Now, if you give our drug, what will happen is that, and it's just 24 hours after the injury, that part of the body that's paralyzed will start to regain function. And now, and, and by the way, currently in terms of stroke, there's, there's no therapies that are, are effective six hours after. Uh, the, there's only one therapy that's approved for stroke called TPA, and it must be administered six hours after um, the stroke. So what we'll see is 24 hours, you'll see if you administer a drug, you get some function. And if you look at what's happening, if you stain the neurons that are going down the cord, you'll see that the neurons from the other side of the cord are reaching out across to the neurons that are no longer controlled by the left side of the brain. And they're starting to interact with those neurons. So what's happening is that the surviving neurons are taking on that additional function. And you can see it because the animal's starting to be able to do movements that they can't do if they're only given placebo. That is called plasticity. That's the ability of the surviving parts of the brain to take on additional function. And so it's pretty cool because in our models, you're seeing A, the, the animals would be able to perform functions that they couldn't perform. And you can actually see the staining at a microscopic level. You can see the neurons reaching across the cord and innervating the, the, the motor neurons that are no longer controlled. But if you don't administer your drug, what, what would happen in that it's, exact same injury? Nothing. The, the, the animals don't get the reaching across. and They're blocked. And they're blocked by the CSPGs. So you don't get the reaching across and the animals get re- recovers minimal function from their, from the injury. Hmm. So how do the CSPGs help when they're initially there and in lower concentrations? They, you said they're reducing inflammation. So what does that look like? Yeah. In lower concentrations, they're not reducing inflammation. In lower concentrations, oh. they're, they're part of the, they're just part of the extracellular matrix that hold connections in place. So at low levels, they actually have a high, they have a very useful function. It's at the higher levels that they start to become inhibitory and the higher levels only occur in the, in the extent of an injury. So, and then, and then in other areas like neurodegenerative diseases, they're, they're present at very low levels until that neurodegenerative disease occurs. So in the instance of MS, for instance, when you get the demyelinating events, these, these CSPGs occur in much higher levels than you would see in a healthy individual. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So, okay, just to refresh, so when the CSPGs go to high levels, what are they doing? Like, what kind of specific actions are they taking to cause this, uh, I guess, to lock in the injury, you could say? Yeah, how they're locking in the injury in the neurodegenerative diseases, I'm actually, nobody's really aware of them because people haven't been studying the CSPGs to a great extent in these neuro. It's kind of a new phenomenon. So we know that they increase, and, and there are studies in humans that will show that the CSPGs increase in Alzheimer's disease, and that increase in CSPGs is correlated with 
a reduction in cognitive function, but how, you know, what they're doing normally, why they're there at low levels, other than part of the architecture, well, their exact function isn't, isn't really well known. So that, you know, I think, you know, that leads to the question, well, what happened, you know, is there a negative effect if you inhibit their function, you know, cause they're there for a reason. I, I, if I understand sort of your, your line of question, which I think is a really good one, what's the natural function of CSPGs beyond containing the site of an injury when there is an injury and, and they're there kind of in low levels to keep hold things in place. And so you might ask, well, are we, do we have potentially a negative effect by inhibiting their interaction with the receptor? And we've done a number of studies to look at that, both sort of in our efficacy studies, we're always looking for side effects, but we also do the standard number of studies that you do as you're developing a drug to look for side effects. And we're really not seeing anything at a neural level that's surprising us. We're not seeing untoward effects at all. So it, it seems that our interaction is only working when the, when the, when the CSPGs are upregulated. And then that's a good thing for, in terms of these disease models. Well, have you looked at a, you know, an advanced wound or an advanced, uh, you know, lesion and looked for the presence of the CSGs and, you know, they're, they're part of the structure. I mean, if they, if at low levels, they're structural, perhaps at high levels, they're, they're wound hearing, healing structural. They have like kind of the same function, but they do it maybe in a different way. Not so much wound healing as protective. They're, 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 they they limit the extent of the of the damage, but there are other cells that are there are actual cells that are involved in in wound healing in, in the in the in the in the brain. They're called microglia, and it's the microglia that are predominantly involved in the healing. But the CSPGs will will interact with the the, the microglia will detect the CSPGs, and they'll have certain behaviors in presence of CSPGs. But it's really think of the CSPGs as a structural element rather than an active element. And they just, they just help form that barrier uh, and contain the extent of the injury. So how long do you administer the protocol for uh, in order for it to be effective? Does it have to be administered forever or you no. do it and then stop? Yeah, no, it depends on the, on the disease. So <clears throat> for an injury, for a trauma, we'd see it's a defined period. And we think it's going to be probably, you know, in, in our initial studies, we'll be stu- uh, administering the drug for three months, once a day for three months. And, you know, I, my guess is it's going to be, you know, between, so we get really good data in our models, anywhere from seven weeks to three months of administration. And that should be enough. In the neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's and multiple sclerosis, it would be probably be administered on a chronic basis because we're not, we're not curing the disease. We're just helping reverse the effects of the disease. But I guess you don't know what happens if you administer this long-term to other tissues. We've stu- so we're, the longest we've administered the drug in studies, I guess, is three months in, in sort of pharmacology studies. And that's so that's the longest. A chronic studies, no, before we did studies in humans, we would make sure we did the right toxicology studies, you know, up to a year before treating any human that long. Well, yeah, hmm. yeah, I guess it'd be interesting to see what role it has in, in other tissues or if it's you know, will naturally. I guess, build up to the highest concentration in the tissues that are needed and, uh, you know, what will happen over time as it's yeah. administered. Yeah. And, you know, to be sort of clear, what we're doing is, is we're affecting the receptor, not the CSPGs. So there are different receptors for CSPGs in different tissues. The predominant neural receptor is PTP sigma. And so, in fact, we're mostly affecting the neuronal response to CSPGs. 
This is a really, yeah, it sounds like a really amazing breakthrough. It's oh, really, really interesting. It, it is pretty cool. And, and, you know, one of the challenges we have to look at is, is there's so many potential applications where, where do we do our first studies? You know, we could do our first studies in spinal cord injury. We could do them in MS. We could do them in Alzheimer's, ALS, stroke, traumatic brain injury, or, or you know, concussion, CTE. There's all, all sorts of potential areas where we could go. So it's a really interesting, from the point of view of uh, strategy, there's a lot of strategic issues we have to consider in terms of going forwards. And if you like that type of thing, it's, 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 it's great. Well, in all these conditions you mentioned, which ones are the most tightly focused in terms of tissue damage that's been observed? So another, I guess another way of answering that question is where's the, where do we have the most evidence to show our, our product works? And there I would say the most evidence we have is in multiple sclerosis and in spinal cord injury. That's where we studied our drug the most. But we also have some, a lot of in- interesting data in peripheral nerve injury and some really interesting and compelling data in stroke. And then in other areas like Alzheimer's, it's more, we haven't studied our compound, but, but there's a lot of data around the interaction between our receptor and the CSPGs that are indirect that suggest that we would work. Mm-hmm. So your first, I guess, the next goal now will be to go through a clinical trial with a given application? Well, yeah, it's almost, it's to go into clinical trial, but our first clinical trial will be in healthy volunteers. And, and what we're trying to achieve in that trial is one, we want to know that the the product is well tolerated. So we want to see how humans respond to the drug. We think it should it perform really well, but until you do the study, you don't know. Yeah. And then we also want to confirm that it, it makes its way into the into the cerebral spinal fluid, the fluid in the brain in humans. We know that it does in animals. We just want to confirm it does in humans. And by doing that study in, in healthy volunteers, it means the next studies that we do after that can be in any indication we like. So we can go from that phase one study in healthy volunteers and then do a phase two study in MS, and spinal cord injury, Alzheimer's, whatever, traumatic brain injury, whatever indication we, show, we, we, we choose. So, you know, that phase one study, we will hopefully start by the end of this year. It looks good and would read out around this time next year. And then we'd be prepared to start those phase two studies at the end of next year. Currently, we've highlighted MS and spinal cord injury as the indications where we'd like to start. But, you know, depending on how the company develops and and what additional studies we conduct, you know, we may look at adding additional indications. We'll look at trying to get external funding to fund additional education indications. But currently the plan is MS and spinal cord injury as our first two clinical indications. In addition to the uh, CPSGs and their receptors, are there other uh, proteins or compounds that seem to play a very important role in the same processes? There are other compounds that play a role in, in, in damage uh, and other processes that play a role in damage. We're really much, very much focused on, on this component because it, it spans across multiple injury types and multiple diseases. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you guys have the, as complete a picture as you need, but you know, there's so much work to do. I understand you can't do everything. It's impossible. No, exactly. And I, I mean, what's important is we've seen an effect in, in a lot of different disease models. So, you know, when, when you see a, a new pharmaceutical being developed, it's, you know, one disease uh, model that you've seen and, and one response. It's really, what I find really encouraging and having worked in this industry for, for over 30 years, is somewhat unique, is, you know, we're, we see functional effects and functional effects are basically translated to clinical benefit. 
And I said, I said this at the very beginning, but we've seen it in six different models, and which is really quite unique. And then we're not just seeing one effect. We're not just seeing motor control. We're seeing motor control. We're seeing sensory control, autonomic control, and, and cognitive benefit, which is you know, what, what we've seen and reported most recently in our stroke data. You know, that, that's really, really encouraging. So we think, you know, there's, there's a lot of evidence here and, and it's now, it is the time to take this into the clinic. It really is time to see how this translates to clinical response. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wow. Well, what's the best way for people to follow NerdGen and the progress? Yeah. So, well, our website's pretty informative. If you go to nervegen.com and it's N-E-R-V-G-E-N, we actually have quite a lot of information available there. We have our corporate presentation that's there, which is sort of the, the, the latest and greatest in terms of where we are. There is and part of our website for the, for the people that are really science-focused. There's part of our website, which we call Noticia, which is, I think, Latin for data. And we've put on that website a lot of the really pertinent publications related to our technology, you know, uh, about CSPGs, about the receptor, about our molecule, and then how our molecule works in different diseases. And we focused on our molecule and MS Alzheimer's and, and spinal cord injury. So there's a lot of information there. And then, you know, as a public company, we're a public company. So we have lots of news releases that are out all the time, updating people on, on progress in the company. Well, very good. Anything else uh, I should have asked you? I mean, it's, it's well, exciting. You have a lot of work to do, but an yeah, unbelievable is. benefit ahead. So, yeah. yeah. No, there is lots of work to do. You know, I could easily I could talk all day about this, but I, I think we've touched upon the major things. So, we think this is pretty different and it, 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 it does, it's a new paradigm. It's a new way of thinking. If it does work, we, we think this actually will redefine how, how people see nerve injury and how they treat nerve injury. I think there'll be a lot of interesting, a lot of companies interested in what we're doing. I think there'll be a lot of people interested in doing combinations, combinations of our technology with their technology. You know, if their technology is being held back because of the scars, if you're able to eliminate the effect of the scars, then you can see us enabling certain technologies, such as stem cell technology, electrostim technology. So we're pretty excited about uh, where we can do. And I, I would just say, you know, watch the space. We're going to be very active. Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you for coming and describing this. I appreciate it. Well, uh, thank you. Thank, thank you very much for the time. I'm happy to talk at any time going forward. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.